The passage we have today is from Mark 1, 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the messages in their synagogues and casting out demons. Wonderful voice you're listening to is Mahala Jackson, the great gospel singer, the, one of the greatest gospel singers of our time. Singing Precious Lord, a song by Thomas A. Dorsey, not to be confused with Tommy Dorsey, the swing band leader. Thomas A. Dorsey was an African-American composer who wrote gospel music and was written many other songs besides this. In August of 1932, Thomas and his wife Nettie lived in Chicago and she was pregnant with their first child. Thomas, being a jazz player, singer, left Chicago to go to St. Louis to take a gig. Word got back to him when he arrived there that his wife had passed away in childbirth. The next day, his first son died as well. Thomas, uh, that day, vowed never to write gospel again. Finally, one afternoon, several years later, in the throes of his grief, he sat down at the piano. And this prayer came out on the keys that day. He said this of that day. As the Lord gave me these words and melody, he also healed my spirit. I learned that when we are in our deepest grief, when we feel farthest from God, this is when He is closest. And, we are, and when we are most open to His restoring power. And so I go on living for God willingly and joyfully until that day comes when He will take me and gently lead me home.
You know, many in this church today know and understand that kind of pain, that kind of loss. Many here have known a despair that leaves you feeling completely empty and without hope. Many of us, many people in this room have come through that kind of storm. They have had that same moment when all that is left is one last cry to God. If even that. When a time when God moves within us, reaching out to us from the nothingness to take you by the hand, pull you out of your despair. Oh yes, many of us here in this place have known that kind of hopelessness and have known that indescribable answer to prayer, that deliverance, that being taken out of our despair. Many have felt that wave of hope, that breaking in, that comforting presence of God where God moves from a universe away to being so close that you can feel it in your whole self. You know, there's a lot of things I can speak to intelligently about when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to faith matters, when it comes to Jesus and Jesus' writings and church history and the context. I, there are many theological points I can give you about our text today, context and background and wisdom through the ages on it. But this thing that happens when we are in our deepest despair, this presence of God that gives us the will to keep going when everything within us just wants it to disappear this thing that happens, I cannot explain it. I can just rejoice in it. Amen? I can merely just say amen. When it happens, how it happens, how we can tap into it, honestly, I have no idea. It just does. It just does. We have names for it. Compassion, grace, mercy, transcendence. But ultimately, it is a mystery. But it is at the heart of what it means to be a person of faith. Amen? At the heart of what it means to be a person of faith is that glimmer of hope that says, God is with me. God is with me. It seems almost a universal certainty that those who claim faith have somehow known the presence of God and been moved, touched, lifted at one time or another. Even the most skeptical among us are willing to concede that they have felt something. That something at the heart of this story today. 
Jesus steps into a moment when despair had come to the house of Andrew and Peter. The mother of Peter's wife was ill with a fever. So you know when the mother-in-law is upset and not feeling well, nobody's feeling well. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And they came in and they said, I I, I can imagine this. Like everyone, so Peter brings all of his friends home. And I can imagine Peter's wife meeting him at the door. (laughs) Right? Mom's sick. Oh, great. And they say, okay, guys, we got to be quiet. My mother-in-law's sick. And Jesus says, I'll take care of this. (laughs) But all kidding aside, Jesus is told about his mother-in-law laying in bed, sick with a fever, very sick. And no one could do anything for her. And Jesus reached out and took her by the hand and helped her to stand up. And her brokenness became wholeness again. And she stood to her feet. Once up, once whole again she began to serve the people in the house now there's, there were too many jokes i could come up with about this right here that that she got up and was serving everyone you know have some cake <laughs> cynics would say that maybe jesus healed her just so he could get a cup of coffee or something to that effect but i think he healed her because she needed to be healed and for no other reason She needed to be healed, and Jesus was a man of compassion. She needed something, and Jesus brought it to her. I think she got up and served because that is the appropriate response to Jesus' touch. Amen? She knew what had happened. She knew the significance of, of it a lot of people in mark there is this theme that runs throughout that the only people who seem to know who jesus is and the significance of jesus's presence are the demons that he's casting out of people everyone else seems a little bum-fuzzled and clueless the disciples the pharisees even his mother seems a little in mark seems a little out of it like i don't know what jesus is doing but i guess we'll follow him and they're a little dazed Not Peter's mother-in-law. She knows who butters her bread. She knows what's going on here. Like Thomas A. Dorsey, she knew who held her hand. It's not just that she was delivered from her sickness. Oh yes, she was healed, but that isn't all that took place in that moment. She once was lost, but now she is found. She once was blind, but now she sees. She once was deaf. But now she hears. She once was dead. But now she is alive. She once was poor. But now she is rich. Amen? She experienced the truth of what Jesus' proclamations were all about. That mysterious infilling of God's presence in a world full of despair. Here came hope. In a world full of oppression, here came liberation. 
in a world full of violence and hate, here came love and compassion. She recognized that there was something beyond all of this. In Peter's mother-in-law, we get a glimpse of the effect that Jesus has on people. It's a preview of what, seen, what happens later. It's a preview because she seems to be the only one who gets it, right? The other disciples, even Peter, are clueless. And for the rest of, when we read the rest of Mark, we see that they're, they're, they don't seem to know what's going on. And they, they bumble around. And they're not really sure what they're getting into. It's only after the resurrection that they truly understand the impact of who Jesus is. Mark has written the gospel with that in mind. Because for, for the author of Mark, for Mark, what deaths or what Jesus is all about is dying to one's old self and being resurrected into new life. And we get a little preview of that today in the mother-in-law of Peter. She was dying and she was resurrected into new life. For a woman on her deathbed who's been lifted out of her hopelessness by the touch of Jesus. No resurrection was needed for her to understand the significance. And so she rises up and begins to serve. I thought it was interesting. I've never noticed that this particular element before until I was studying for this sermon. It's important to note that when we consider this healing story, it's, it's paired with one that happened just last week, although we didn't use it last week, we did something else. But uh, if we had read the story from last week, we'd see that there was another healing story. And we would know that when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, it was the Sabbath day. And he had just come back. Not only is he healing on the Sabbath, which it seems to seems to irk off the religious leaders of the time. For some reason, they get hung up on this healing on the Sabbath business. Not only that, but G- uh, Peter's mother-in-law hops up and she starts working. On the Sabbath. So she, she's blowing, you know, she doesn't care either. She's blowing all that out of the water. Her response to Jesus is one of, of motioning forward, of living into the healing experience she had had. It's the beginning of becoming what she was called to become. So she got up and began to serve. The promise of faith at its best is that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Philippians 4.13 At best, that's what our faith affords us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That even our deepest sorrows will not overcome us, but that we will be taken by the hand and led through it just like Peter's mother-in-law. And once on the other side of that grief, once on the other side of that sorrow, the Spirit tells us, now take that experience and let it deepen your commitment and call you to good works. God said to Jeremiah, someone who knows a little something about despair, called to 
bring a message to God's people who didn't want to hear it. Tried to kill them a few times, threw them in a big hole once. Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I'm I'm sure Jeremiah is glad God told Jeremiah that at the beginning of his ministry because in the middle of it, it certainly didn't feel like God had good plans for Jeremiah. I'm sure sitting down in that cistern wondering what was going to happen next day in and day out, waiting for someone to rescue him, I'm sure he was thinking about, God, where is my future of prosperity? Where is my hope? You promised it to me. Yet that promise got Jeremiah through all of that. Jeremiah did see a new day. This is the promise of faith. That there is hope. That there is a future. That what is despairing us right now is not the end of the story. Not the final word. That God is there holding our hand as we go through it. Not taking it away. Sometimes I think we come in with strange expectations. We want God to just take it all away. And I understand that. I'm human too. God doesn't seem to do that very much. Just taking it all away. And yet, not leaving us on our own either. It's an amazing thing. And there's something mysterious and precious about experiencing that. Knowing the presence of God in our deepest despair. Knowing the touch of Jesus. And I've known people who have experienced that in some kind of metaphysical way. But for me, it's always someone God is working through. It's always some voice. It's always some person filled with compassion. It's always some, sometimes it's even just a song on the radio gets me out of that and reminds me this is not the end of the story. It's my prayer today that the promise of faith would be yours to claim and mine to claim. That we would be people of this promise, being taken by the hand and led forward. Not running on our own power, but experience the power of that person who heals the sick, who gives sight to the blind, who opens the ears of the deaf. For just like Peter's mother-in-law, we are called to a life not of despair, but a life of living, serving, and growing, and prospering, and loving. Too often despair wins out because we fail to see Christ's outreached hand. And I know it is beginning to sound like a Hallmark card here, right? 
But the thing is, there are moments in every person's life when we just need to know that God is there. And I guess I just want to be able to say, yes, God is there. When we pour ourselves out, like Mr. Dorsey did that afternoon, when we give ourselves over to God, when we come to that last moment, it seems, when we finally are so broken that we really empty ourselves before God. That's when the miracles start to happen. Sometimes in a flash, like Mr. Darcy playing the piano, sometimes it's a process, little by little, day by day, hour by hour. Whatever the case, may our prayer be as Thomas Dorsey's was. When the night grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call, hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, we we come to you as people who have experienced your love and your compassion. We've come to you as people who have known your touch and the power of it. We come to you also as people who are in need of that touch. As people who need to know that what we experience in our sorrow is not the end of the story. We come to you as those who are in need of your promise. Help us to grab onto it and call it our own. That we might live into the kingdom of God that we might overcome our deepest griefs and learn to stand up and serve all that you have stood for. May we ourselves die to our old selves and be resurrected into a new self and be people of the promise. We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of Christ. Amen.